good to be back with you this evening. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off this morning, speaking about the worship assembly in this series of a few lessons about the different components of the worship assembly. And this afternoon, we're going to talk about our singing in the worship assembly. For just a minute, though, I want to recap what we talked about this morning as it is incredibly important to understanding about singing in the assembly or praying in the assembly or teaching in the assembly or any other thing, any of the other things we do in the assembly. And so if you, if you didn't hear us this morning, if you didn't hear the sermon, we talked about the authority that God has uh, as it pertains to the worship assembly and how we must submit to that authority. Uh, we uh, went over some examples from the Old Testament and saw how God is either pleased or He's displeased with our worship. He's either accepting or unaccepting of what we offer Him. And so this afternoon, we're gonna, we want to look at singing through that lens as well. We asked the question, is it from God or is it from man? We looked at the examples in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus asked, is this from heaven or is it from man? And we want to do that. The, the biggest thing, I told you I was going to say it a bunch over and over again throughout these, these couple sermons here, is we must be willing to obey the way that the Bible tells us to worship. We must be willing to do that. It doesn't matter what our preconceived ideas or what we've been taught before by somebody. It doesn't matter what I say or what anybody says. We must worship the way that the Bible tells us to worship. And that is the way God accept, uh, expects us, rather, to worship. As we, well, we'll get into that in just a moment. And so this afternoon we're going to talk about singing in the worship assembly. Uh, obviously, you, you know how we sing. You've been here today. You've heard our singing uh, today. If you go to many other congregations, many other places, they might have a guitar or a set of drums or a flute. I don't know what they've got, honestly. They, they play whatever. And so we're going to get into the the discussion of should we have instruments in our worship assembly and we want to look at that from the lens of whatever the Bible says we will do and so it doesn't matter if we've worshipped without them in the past if, if the Bible expects us to do that then that's what we'll do and we must have that, that mindset uh, looking, looking forward and looking through this, this topic this afternoon and so we're going to break down some of the arguments that are pro or for using instruments in the worship assembly. And so we're going to look at a few of those. The, the strongest ones, quite frankly, that I've come across in studying this. The best ones, the ones that make the most sense. And then we're going to stack that up against some of the reasons why we, we wouldn't want to use instruments in the worship assembly. Uh, and at the end of, at the end of our study, I, you, know, you make your own decision. At the end of the day, you've got to worship the way that you believe the Bible says. We've got to worship the way the Bible shows us. And so we'll ask you to kind of make your, make your decision based off the evidences and what we talk about this afternoon. So that's where we'll get, get to later in our assembly. I don't suppose many people are going to argue if, if singing is from God or man. Should we sing in the worship assembly? I don't suppose many people are going to argue against that point, but let's look into that. We don't just care about instruments or not instruments. We want to sing and we want God to accept our worship in singing, don't we? And so we want to sing the way he would have us to sing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, uh, we read a verse here that says, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself 
follow after me. I didn't quote that perfectly, but you know the scripture I'm talking about. Sometimes in the worship assembly, we have to deny ourselves. And that verse isn't talking about a worship assembly necessarily, but in life, we have to deny ourselves to follow after Christ. And in the worship assembly today, whether it be in singing or whether it be in communion or whether it be in our teaching or, or whatever it may be, we might just have to deny ourselves. We remember that God only accepts certain uh, worship as we read in Genesis, the uh, fourth and fifth verse there, where Abel brought the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And we talked about that word respect there as we closed our sermon this morning and how that means that God was uh, respect or he gazed upon. He, was, he would determine, he would look at, he would determine whether that was worship or not. He couldn't even look at Cain's offering. We want God to accept our worship today. So, in singing in the assembly today, it must be obviously in spirit and in truth. We must have our heart in it. It's, it's no more important to have the right procedure than it is to have the right heart. We must sing to God in spirit and in truth. If, God, if we're singing just the way God wants, but our heart isn't in it, what good has it done? How and when does God want us to sing? So here's the verses that I can tell from the New Testament that mention some form of the word sing. There might be something else out there or some other way of saying the word sing that I didn't take into effect. This was a quick word search on Esword. And so we see here a handful of verses that, that use the word sing, a couple that use the word singing. And then you got sung and sang. So just whatever fits your lingo there. If it's past tense sangs, past tense sung, you know, there, there's one for, for each of those. Apparently sung's more popular. And so we'll break down a few of these. We're not going to read all those. The ones that mention sung and sang are obviously talking about a past example where someone was singing. And so we're not going to necessarily read all these this afternoon. So how and when should we sing? Does God want us to sing? How does he want us to sing as it pertains to the worship assembly today? Of course, we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 5, the 19th verse says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so there are going to be some people who say, well, this doesn't apply to the assembly. People who believe this does apply to the assembly. And so real quick, a couple points. We know, okay, well, God wants us to sing, right? He wants us to sing, and he wants us to make melody in our heart. We, that's our offering, that's our sacrifice, that's our glorifying to God. He wants us to sing. It says, though, speaking to yourselves. We can, we can probably assume he's, he's talking about a, a setting where we're together, right? If he's not talking about the worship assembly, when are we supposed to get together to sing to one another? I believe he's, he's talking about our worship assembly today. He says, speaking to yourselves, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's a verse we use a lot of times talking about singing. We bring this up. Another, another one that's very popular, we read a lot, uh, which uses the word singing, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And so here, it, it, a very similar verse mentioning that we're to admonish one another, and we're also to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, as we, we talked about at the beginning of our study this morning, how in 1 Corinthians 14 we see a lot of, I hate to use the word outline, but we see some 
parameters, some things we need to look at for our worship assembly today. And it says there, about the midway point of that chapter, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. He says, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. We're supposed to sing with grace in our heart. We're supposed to make melody in our heart to the Lord. And we're supposed to do that both in spirit and in understanding. Which backs up John 4, 24, doesn't it? Which backs up what we, what we read and what we looked at and the example of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. We need to do it with spirit. We need to do it with understanding. A common theme of the first half of this chapter is speaking in tongues and a lot about understanding. We're going to circle back and we'll get to this a little bit more later on. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? I think God expects us to sing here in the church assembly today. Then in Hebrews 13, which doesn't necessarily, well, it definitely doesn't mention sing or singing or any of those words, but it says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. If we sing the way God has prescribed today in the worship assembly, God will be well pleased. He set out an order here. He, he wants us, we'll back up and click through them real quick. He wants us to sing and make melody in the heart. That's to God. He wants us to admonish one another in, in songs and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in the heart. He wants us to do that with our spirit, with understanding. He wants to do that in the church. And he says he'll be well pleased. Something that's well pleasing to the Lord. At the end of the day, what's the whole purpose of these, of these studies, of, of these, this series that Brandon started on the church and on the assembly? We want to please God. We want God to be pleased. We want him to consider our worship. We, we don't want him to look down at our worship and say, we won't even consider it. We want him to consider our worship. And so for the remainder of our study, because I don't think anyone's arguing on the point that we should sing or that God is pleased with singing, we can certainly get a little deeper in that if we need to. But for the remainder of our study this afternoon, I want to talk about uh, the topic of instruments in worship. So this is one we've heard for a long time. It's talked about for for hundreds of years now. And so I want to honestly and truthfully let's stack up some of the points we hear, some of the some of the reasons people use for using instruments in the assembly. I'll have you know we're not picking on people who use instruments in their worship assembly. It's not our purpose today. We want to know what God wants us to do. We want to examine this and we want to know exactly what God wants us to do and we want to try our absolute best to worship the way he's prescribed, the way that he's told us. And that goes the same for any of the other sermons that we'll, that we'll have in this series. So here, in my opinion, you, you could find some others. Here, in my opinion, are the four, four best arguments that I've, that I've seen or reasons for using instruments in the worship assembly. And we're going to break these down, and then we're going to break down some reasons of what I believe why we should not have an instrument in the worship assembly. And so these are in no particular order. Uh, not that one of them is stronger than another. These are just four of the, of the better ones, in my opinion. So uh, first one you have there is that referring to instruments, they were used in the Old Testament 
to please God. Uh, he, he commanded them there. You can read a bunch of examples in the book of Psalms where instruments were used. God was happy. And so we'll, we'll look at that. The word psalm there, that's Greek uh, 5568, Greek 5567. That's a word that's going to be translated in our King James or in a bunch of other translations, what's, what you're going to see as psalm or psalms. And so there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, uh, singing in psalms is going to be this word, and we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, my personal favorite, the Bible doesn't prohibit them. And so people say, well, the, there's nowhere that God says we can't use instruments in the assembly. And so we're going to, we're going to look at that as a, valid, as a valid argument this afternoon. And then, and then what can it hurt? We're, we're praising God. We want to praise God. We truly want to praise God. And there's a lot of people today, there's a lot of people in Old Testament times, New Testament times, who wanted to please God. And will God not accept that worship? If we truly want to, want to praise him, is it not about the heart? Are we making too big of a deal about this? So let's break, those, let's break those points down this afternoon. So to look at those words, uh, the word psalm there. Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. To, to look at where instruments were used in Old Testament times and God was pleased, there's certainly more examples. I don't suppose we need to read them all. Psalms 33 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Can anybody argue the point that God was not pleased with, with instrumental worship in the Old Testament? That he was not pleased with this? I believe God was pleased with this. I believe God accepted this. I believe he was happy with this. And so the point has been made that I've, that I've heard that I've, uh, through my research. Well, you're telling me that God, he wants it in the Old Testament. He's pleased with it in the Old Testament. And then he's not pleased with it now. But he doesn't even tell us to not do it now. You see what I'm saying? He likes it. Now he doesn't, but he didn't even tell us he doesn't want it now. Which, which makes a lot of sense. Why would God do some, be pleased with something, then not pleased with something, and not even bother to tell us that he decided he wasn't pleased with it anymore? We know that, that instruments were used in the Old Testament and that God was pleased with it. And so, I mean, the thing right off the bat, what, I'm gonna, what I start thinking of is, well... Was God not pleased with animal sacrifice in the Old Testament? He was pleased with that. Brandon, could you bring a goat next Sunday? We might have to sacrifice that. God was pleased with it in the Old Testament. Furthermore, we, as we, in the beginning of our sermon this morning, we read Romans chapter 15, verse number 4, which said the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. These things that were written here in the Old Testament, they're, they're written for our learning. We have them. The, the reason we even have them today are for our learning. The reason they were written down is so that we can learn. Not that we take them as law or commandment, but for our learning. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 8, you can read in the ninth chapter or the tenth chapter, how that old law has passed away. We're not commanded by this old law anymore. We can't use it to learn. God was pleased with a lot of things in the Old Testament that he's not pleased with today, that he wouldn't be pleased with today. 
Furthermore, God may be pleased with Old, with Old Testament instrumental worship. Uh, does that mean he's pleased with instruments today? I suppose he is. Does that mean we must do it in worship? He may be okay with us playing an instrument. He, he doesn't prescribe it in the assembly, though. Moving on to the next one. Uh, we see this word psalm. We read that it's sprinkled out through, through a, several of these verses where it mentions sing or singing. And so let's look at that word now. And there's a couple different Greek words. There's a couple other deeper meanings you can get into and look. Uh, and the base root of most of them are sing. Uh, but let's look at these two this afternoon. And so the first one there, uh, which is, of course, G5568. It comes from 5567. It says, a set piece of music that is a sacred ode accompanied with the voice, harp, or other instrument, a psalm, collectively the book of Psalms, psalm. And so we see here, it says that uh, this word means a set piece of music. It means a company with the harp or another instrument. It could mean the voice. It could mean a, a book. It could mean a chapter of Psalms, which, which it could be referring to. We see here that, that people are going to look at this word today when they see it and say, right there's instruments. It says to sing with psalms. Psalms means instruments. Therefore, God's okay with instruments. Uh, that other word there from solo, this is from psalmos, this, this G5567 is solo, probably strengthened from, you know, the, to rub or touch the surface, to twitch or to twang. That is to play on a stringed instrument, Celebrate the divine worship with music and accompanying odes to make melody to sing psalms. And so we see here in G5567 that it means to rub or touch the surface, to play on a stringed instrument, to twitch or to twang. And so people are going to look at that scripture and they're going, okay, here's where it says sing psalms. Psalms means twitch or twang. Psalms means play on a stringed instrument. Therefore, we should be playing on stringed instruments. We should be using instruments in the worship assembly. And so let's break that down a little bit more. And the biggest thing here that I think we need to look at is going to be context. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms, G5568, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, G5567, in your heart to the Lord. And so it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms, which here is this, this definition, a set piece of music that could, could be accompanied with a voice or harp or other instrument. And then making melody, this is the word melody, to touch or to, tw uh, excuse me, to rub or touch, to twitch or twang, uh, that is to play on a stringed instrument. And so here's the verse again. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so I think a very important thing is that we need to look at the context here in this verse. And so, uh, an example that I always go to, it's, it's one of my favorite examples to use, is in 1 Peter, the second chapter in the second verse, where it says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. And so, through context, we know that there is no actual milk in the word. <laughs> newborn babes cannot, cannot get milk out of the word, literally, uh, so to be. However, that we know in that verse that, talking about the precepts, the first principles of God's word. That's what newborn babes are to desire. And so we can see here through context, while a psalm in general could have been an ode, or in Old Testament times that could have been what that's referring to, we know through context it says speaking to yourselves in psalms. Well, if we're 
If we're to have anything to do with psalms, we're supposed to speak the psalms. He says, and hymn, spirit, song, singing and making melody in your heart. So the melody is supposed to be the twitch or twang. Where are we supposed to have that? In the heart. The instrument that the Lord desires today in our worship is the heart. He says, sing with grace in your heart. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. And so when God expects us to twitch or twang, he expects us to twitch or twang the heart. That's what that melody is referring to. The melody is not on an instrument. The melody that we play is in the heart. The psalm that we have here is not uh, an instrument that's played. It is referring to singing, to speaking to one another in those psalms. Notice how you can't speak an instrument. You can play instruments. You can't speak instruments. Notice how you can't twitch or twang successfully your heart. You can make melody in the heart, though. Okay, James chapter 5 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. G5567. And so that verse there is the one that's going to mean to twitch or to twang. So if any of us is merry, let us sing psalms. Therefore, we can play instruments. Well, context again tells us that something we, we are to sing. We can't sing an instrument. And then maybe my favorite one to, to use against this argument of well, the word psalm means instrument is in 1 Corinthians 14 itself. It says there, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, that all things be done into edifying. One of the first verses we read this morning. And so they're going to go, well, that word psalm there, every one of us must have a song. Doesn't say to sing there, does it? So you can't use that argument, the one I used. Every one of you hath a psalm. And so if that's really what that is referring to, if it's truly referring to a, a musical instrument, and I don't believe it is, I believe it's referring to us singing. When we come together, every one of us, we sing. He wants us to sing together. All things are to be done unto edifying here. And we'll read more, like I said, we'll read more from this chapter in a moment. Every one of you hath a psalm. So if we, if we believe here that 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 is commandment, if that's reason to use instrument, then it seems to me that every one of us must have an instrument. I don't know any place that uses instruments today where everyone has an instrument. It's usually a handful of people at most. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath the psalm? We know through context that the word psalm doesn't mean to be actually physically playing an instrument. It's referring to the heart. The instrument that the Lord desires today is the heart. We know through context he's, he's referring to us singing. He's referring to the voice. So the Bible doesn't prohibit instruments. Um, this is a, an argument that I've, I've seen a lot, read a lot about, uh, discussed this argument as well, this, this reason for using instruments. And so the Bible says, well, nothing about musical instruments in the New Testament. Most people will agree with that, honestly. Most people are willing to admit that the New Testament never prescribes and never asks for uh, instruments in worship. But the Bible doesn't prohibit them. Why can't we use them? The Bible, he never told us not to use them. And my, my favorite thing to think about when it comes to this, to this topic of, of the worship assembly, the one that has impacted me more than anything in these studies, and I think we'll apply this to the, to the communion, to teaching, to praying, whatever it is, just because the Bible 
doesn't mention it, I've got a little grammatical error there, just because the Bible doesn't prescribe it and ask for it, doesn't, just because it doesn't prohibit it, does that mean we must do it in worship? We don't have anything wrong against, against instruments, do we? That's not why we don't have them here. Now, you grow up here, you start to prefer acapella singing. Pretty good. I like it myself a lot. We heard the Oak Ridge Boys last November. It's where I got their coronavirus. And they sang one song, acapella. It was the best song they sang all night. They needed to get rid of the drums and the guitars and just sing acapella all night long. It'd be way better. Ran over. Just because the Bible doesn't prohibit something doesn't mean we must do it in the worship assembly. So I got a couple points to be made here. Number one would be Leviticus chapter 10, where we talked about earlier, and I didn't put this verse in here. I meant to, and I've, I guess I overlooked that. God didn't prohibit that strange fire that Nadab and Abihu used in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, did he? It said there, he, they offered up strange fire, which the Lord did not command them to. He specifically didn't make any mention of it. It was specifically left out, yet they used it, and they were devoured right there before the Lord. We talked about authority this morning. We've got to look at this through the lens of authority. Gage loves this example. He's heard it already once. We, uh, when you think about the Bible not prohibiting something, being grounds to use it, I, you think about that parent-child relationship. That's what we have with God. He's our, he's our father. And so we just imagine for a moment if... If Monty and Jennifer send Gage in to Dollar General here after church, they drive over there and they write down on a piece of paper that they want Gage to go in and they want him to get a four-pack of mousetraps and they want him to get a half gallon of milk and they send in the note to Gage so that he won't forget anything. He goes into the store, they wait, he returns, and he comes back with a four-pack four of mousetraps, he comes back with a half a gallon of milk, and he comes back with a jar of Nutella and a spoon. And he's already got that thing cracked open. He's already had a few spoonfuls of it. I'm using a silly example here, but I think you understand that whenever he gets back into the car, Monty and Jennifer are not going to pat Gage on the head and thank him for his obedience to their authority. <laughs> well, you've done so good. We asked for the mousetraps, and we asked for the milk, and you brought it. We're so thankful. You've done so well. Or are they going to challenge him on his authority? Are they going to challenge him for him rising up against their authority? I think Gage would know just as well as any of us, any adult here, that he did that by challenging their authority. Does, do you think God might look at us as if we're challenging his authority? We say, God, we sang, we prayed, but well, we did this too, we, did, we added all these other things to it. Is he going to pat us on the back and thank us for our, for our faithful obedience? Or is he going to look at that as if we had added something that he didn't prescribe, just as Nadab in the bayou? We look at that through the lens of, of our communion service that we had this morning. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 14, it, it talks about the fruit of the vine. It talks about unleavened bread. It tells us to remember our Lord and Savior. It tells us to examine ourselves. And so I wonder, Matt, if you would have came down here to the communion table this morning and lifted up the top of the tray and, and seen an apple pie sitting there. 
You know, our, uh, our bread that we have here today is not a lot unlike uh, a pie crust, unleavened bread. A little bit of flour, lard, and water, and roll it out, and that's about what it is. That's about what a pie crust is. Imagine if we had to just start having pie, having an apple pie there. We're having unleavened bread, aren't we? God didn't command us to not go ahead and have apple pie with our unleavened bread. You see the point I'm making? I don't believe God would pat us on the back for our faithful obedience if we added pie here. Not because he, he never prohibited pie, did he? You know, Gage could have walked back to the car and said, Dad, Mom, you show me on this list where it says Nutella was prohibited. And you won't be able to, would you, Monty? It wouldn't have been on there. We can't look at 1 Corinthians and go, well, he, he prohibits apple pie. I think the best point here, the, the one that has helped me the most, is just because God doesn't prohibit it doesn't mean we must do it in worship. It's not that God is an anti-God and that he's anti-this and that he's anti-that. God's not an anti-God. We're not anti-people. We want to do what the Bible tells us to do. We want to worship the way the Bible tells us to worship. But the worship assembly is, is not a time for us to bring in our own desires. This one hour that we have is not a time for us to do what we want, but rather to submit to God's authority and to bring him and to offer him exact, exactly as he's prescribed. What can it hurt? We're praising God. We truly want to praise God. This is an incredible mindset. People want to praise God. Aren't we thankful for that? People want to obey God. There's a lot of people out there in the world that truly want to obey God, truly want to worship God. And that's a good thing. But this mindset of what can it hurt is, is, a, is a tough one to combat. I think we, we can look back at our other examples we used this morning. We can look back at, at uh, well, we can look back at Nadab and Abihu. We can look at Uzzah trying to stabilize the, the ox when it stumbled, stabilize the ark when the ox stumbled, rather. And we can, we can go through, uh, and we can, we can look at other examples. We can look at the, the men there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What can it hurt to make this a common meal? He didn't command against it. We want to praise God. We want to be here. We want to worship God. We want to obey God. There are certainly some other, other points we could talk about. In my opinion, these are the four uh, strongest in favor of using an instrument in the assembly. And so let's stack that up now and let's look at some other uh, examples here of, of why we may not want to use an instrument in the assembly. And so these are, these are those examples here. And once again, these are certainly in no particular order. Uh, you may feel one is stronger than the other. I just, I put them in there as I thought of them when I was making up my lesson. It says, uh, the first one here is the Bible makes no mention of them in worship. And so that's the first one. It kind of lines up with the arguments for them is the Bible makes no mention of them. Number two, we're supposed to make melody in the heart. The Bible says specifically to sing. We're going to look at some uh, historical uh, points here, uh, some quotes from history. And then our final one is going to be us going through and reading probably 10 or 12 verses in in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I won't have that on the board. There's going to be a little bit to read there. And so the first one there, the, the Bible makes no mention in worship. So we've already talked about Nadab and Abihu. I feel like I've made that point clear. 
Now let's turn over and let's read Psalms chapter 150. I don't have that on there as, as well. It's not a whole lot of verses. Six of them. And so the Bible makes no mention of, of instrumental worship in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when we see examples of instrumental worship, there's a common theme that you're going to see here uh, that, we, that we don't see in the New Testament. And so as we read the 150, the last chapter of the book of Psalms, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God and His sanctuary. Praise Him in the ferment of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And so when we see examples of instruments used in Old Testament times, we see very specific examples here. I want you to play the timbrel. I want you to play the harp. I want you to play the high-sounding cymbal. Uh, play the, the loud-sounding cymbal. And so I would use the same argument that I've heard uh, for using instruments. And if we go back, we could, I'll pull it up, I'll just tell it to you, uh, which is, well, God, he wanted them in the Old Testament. Now, he doesn't want them in the New Testament, but he's not even going to tell us he doesn't want them. And I suppose we could use the opposite side of that argument and say, well, God specifically wants these instruments in the Old Testament. He specifically says, play these instruments. He tells us the, all the different kinds of instruments he wants, and now he suddenly doesn't want to tell us in the New Testament? He doesn't prescribe anything now. There was a, pers uh, a purposeful and a specific prescription for these instruments in Old Testament times, and God, we're missing the prescription. We're missing that. We have no evidence that he wants us to use these now. It's not that God's ripping the rug out from us and saying, okay, read between the lines and figure out what I want. He told us what he wanted in Old Testament times. He told us what he wants in New Testament times. It just happens to be that the instruments are missing. The, the melody is now in the heart, which is our second point here. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, it says our melody is supposed to be in the heart. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to twitch or twang in your heart to the Lord. And so God, is, God has done away with that instrument. He, he decided, and I, I can't tell you why God decides things. God decided that the melody, that the, that the praise he wants, the praise that he desires, the praise that he authorizes in New Testament worship is melody in the heart. The, the instrument that we see in the New Testament is the heart. That's the instrument that he desires. And so that's the instrument that, that we must play. We can talk all day long on, on hundreds and hundreds of topics about things God doesn't tell us to do. Or we can look at what God tells us to do. And we can be obedient in that way. And kind of in the same vein there is that the Bible specifically says to sing. And so this kind of goes back to what we just read in a little bit in Psalms 150. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. And so we see specific prescription here 
to sing. And we're supposed to do that in our spirit. We're supposed to do that with understanding. Don't you find it interesting that he left out that he wants us to play? We see all these examples of singing. And in the Old Testament, we would have seen examples where it said, okay, now play this instrument, this specific instrument. In the New Testament, he just says sing. I want you to sing with spirit. I want you to sing with understanding. Ephesians 5, 19 says, Speaking to yourself, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Don't you find this interesting that when God wants us to come together and he wants us to sing to one another and he wants us to monish one another, he makes no mention of play. He only makes mention of sing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. He makes no mention of play. He only says to sing. It's supposed to be with grace in our heart. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise to thee. What will we do in the church today? We will sing. We will sing praise. Hebrews 13, at the latter part of the 16th verse says that with such, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. What sacrifices is he talking about? He's talking about the fruit of the lips. He doesn't tell us to play. He wants the sacrifices we offer him today to be from the lips, the fruit of the lips. The heart is the instrument we play today. And so the next point is going to be some of the historical data and, and things that we can find. If you go to dig in and, and do a little bit of research, you, most people can find this with a pretty simple uh, search engine on the internet. And you can, you can find a lot of stuff on there. Be careful, but what you'll start to find is some examples of when instruments were first used in worship assemblies. And so a lot of those, you're, you're going to find that there weren't instruments used until, you know, the 1350s, the 1300s. Instruments started being brought into uh, worship assemblies, and you, you'll find that there, were, there was backlash against that. That's not the way that the church had ever operated before. What we seem to forget, and this is true of, of any topic under the sun, what we seem to forget when it comes to singing in the assembly today is that the time in which we live, we... We're here alive in 2021, and we've, we live in this, this little piece of time. And it so happens to be that in this piece of time, instruments throughout churches is very widely accepted. And so we grow up thinking, oh, instruments, everybody uses them. So that's what we're supposed to do. But, because it's been widely accepted for a couple hundred years now. But when you go to dig, you find out that Instruments weren't always widely accepted. There was a lot of backlash against them in the 1300s when they first started being brought into worship. Another thing you'll find if you do a little bit of digging is, is the definition for acapella. And so if you look up acapella right now on your phone and you, you find a definition for that, it's going to be something to the effect of singing without instruments or uh, to sing with only the voice, not accompanied by anything else. And so while that may coincidentally be what a cappella singing is, if, if you go back and you find some older definitions back from, I mean, hundreds of years ago, the definition for a cappella originally was as in the church. And so the way, the reason, the definition originally for a cappella meant church singing. 
It just so happened to be that there weren't instruments used there. And through time, that definition, like a lot of other definitions for words today, have, have just been changed throughout time. And so originally the word meant as in the church, singing as in the church. I've got a couple pages of these, and this is something I condensed down from a bunch of pages. We're not going to read all these. Uh, and another point I should have already made when it comes to some of this historical evidences that we see, the historical data, I guess, that we look at is, at the end of the day, I don't care what historical data shows. I, I care about what the Bible says. And so we got to take these with a grain of salt at the same time. And so as we look at something that Adam Clark said, uh, really, I don't suppose that's very big of a deal. He was just a man. He was in no way divine. And so take these with a grain of salt. However, they kind of show you that mindset of, hey, we've, we've only lived here in this time when instruments are widely accepted. There were times when instruments were not widely accepted um, because they were singing a cappella as in the church. So we'll read a few of these here. Uh, and this first one here is going to be Adam Clark, uh, which if you've got Esword, you've probably got an Adam Clark commentary on there. I like his commentaries. I, I look at them uh, quite a bit, honestly. And so Adam Clark says... I have no objection to instruments of music in our worship, provided that they are neither seen nor heard. And so this is actually a, a quote from, from Adam Clark, uh, quoting the, the founder, of uh, John Wesley, of kind of the Methodist church there. And so this, the founder of the Methodist church says, hey, I, I've got no problem with instruments in worship as long as they're kept in the back and we don't play them or use them. Once again, these guys are not divine. They do not write law. We do not obey them. However, interesting that four and five hundred years ago, uh, they had nothing to do with instruments. The founder of the Methodist religion had nothing to do with instruments. Uh, John Calvin here says, A musical instruments in celebrating the praises of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense or the lighting of lamps and the restoration of the other shadows of the law. The Papists, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this, as well as many other things from the Jews. Men who are found of outward pomp may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends us by the apostles is far more pleasing to him. He's speaking about, whether, about instruments and, and how God is far more pleased with, uh, with worship singing without instruments here. And so he mentions... Uh, it would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, uh, and the restoration of the other shadows of the law. And that's why I say, you know, people are pulling this out of the Old Testament saying, hey, we can, use, we can use instruments because they're using the Old Testament and God was pleased with that. He said, is this not true? Can we take parts of the law we want and just use part of them? Just pull the parts that, that help us and that appeal to our desires? says, if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to go back to the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, the rest of the old law, if you want to add that in. Okay, moving on. Uh, here's Adam Clark here. Uh, this is his quote. I'm an old man, and here I declare, and I here declare that I never knew them, speaking of instruments, to be productive of any good in the worship of God, and have no reason to believe that they are productive, or excuse me, and have reason to believe that they are productive of much evil. Music as a science I esteem and admire, but, the instrumental, but instrumental music in the house of God I abominate and abhor. This is the abuse of music. 
And I, I hear register my protest against all such corruption of the worship of the authority of Christianity. These guys are not inspired, but they were living in a different time than we do. Before musical instruments were really brought into worship, or before they were widely accepted in worship. And this is their thoughts. Uh, we'll just read one more. Is there any authority for instrumental music in the worship of God under present dispensation? Answer, not the least. Only the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs was appointed by the apostles. Not a syllable is said in the New Testament in favor of instrumental music, nor was it ever introduced in the ch into the church until after the 8th century. After the Catholics had corrupted the simplicity of the gospel by their carnal inventions, it was not allowed in the synagogues, in the, in the parish churches of the Jews, but was confined to the temple service and was abolished with the rites of dispensation. Uh, that was written in, in 1842 there. And so, like I said, take these with a grain of salt. They're not divine men. Uh, they're writing their beliefs and, and their opinions. That's what a commentary uh, kind of is. And so, uh, take, the, take that for what it's worth. However, I think it's important for us to understand that they were not always as widely accepted as they are today. And so, with that being said, instruments were brought in at some point. They were something that weren't prescribed by God, that weren't asked of by God. However, they were brought in at a later date. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as our final point here. And so as I said, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, is, is where we get a lot of our understanding about the assembly today. And the first half of that chapter talks a lot about speaking in, uh, speaking in unknown languages, speaking in tongues, uh, and, and that all has to do with the understanding that we have. It doesn't do us any good to have someone who speaks a different language speak to us today. Our understanding is unfruitful. And so that's, that's I want you to understand that's the overarching thing. And he's not talking particularly about, about singing or about instruments. Uh, that's not the, the general theme here. But I think we can learn something. Let's just start in the first verse. It says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. This, this general idea here of, of understanding. Everything we do here is if we scroll down to verse 26, what we've read already a couple times today, let all things be done unto edifying. Why, why, does, why is there any uh, text in 1 Corinthians 14 about speaking in other languages? Because all things are to be done unto edifying. So he says in, in the fourth verse, let's read again, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. If a man who speaks an unknown tongue, he can edify himself. He can understand that. But everyone else won't have understanding or an edification there. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. 
Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I proffer you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction of the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongues words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. He says if, if people are going to speak in the, an unknown tongue, an unknown language, what, what good is that doing? You're speaking into the air. We need people to be edified here. And he, he, he uses instruments to make his point here, doesn't he? He uses part of that because we'd understand here he says in verse number 7, And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be, they, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? We can't understand instrument language. He says, well, let's just keep reading. Let's read verse number 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. And so we see a parallel here between singing and praying. Now, I will admit that the theme, the, the point of, of this text here is, to, is teaching about understanding, speaking in unknown tongues. He says, we need you uh, to speak, to pray with spirit and understanding. We need your spirit, we need your heart, and we need your understanding. It's interesting that he adds singing in there, too. He says, you need to sing with your spirit and with your understanding. In the verse 14, he says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. And so if we translate that to what he's just mentioned before about instruments, those who play an instrument may, may get something spiritual out of that. It may be that they have this spiritual connection, that they can feel that. But what about everybody else who don't know, who, who don't feel that, who aren't playing that instrument? Their understanding is darkened. Their understanding is unfruitful. I, I believe there's some parallels we can make here. And maybe a possible reason for why God doesn't prescribe instruments in New Testament worship. Where's the understanding? Instruments are fine. Instruments are great. I've been playing ukulele for years. Still not very good at it. But understanding is, is unfruitful in that I can understand what you're singing God wants understanding and we lack understanding with instruments those who speak in an unknown tongue their spirit prays but their understanding is alienated we play with an, an instrument our spirit may be there but our understanding is what's unfruitful and God commands our spirit and our understanding as we close this afternoon we must remember our goals. We must remember our goals. As I said earlier, we're not picking on people that use instruments. We're not condemning people that use instruments. That's not the point of this sermon. That's not the point of the sermon this morning. That's not going to be the point of any of our series today. Rather, we 
We must look at the Bible, and whatever it says, we must obey. That's what we want to do. And I suppose if you, if you are here this afternoon, you want to obey God exactly as he prescribes, exactly as he says. That's what we want to do. That's what our goal is. In John chapter 4, verse 24, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship, this, this hour of worship is a time for us to set aside our desires and our wants and to do what God has described, prescribed, and described. It's not a time to add anything else that God has not specifically made mention of. He told Nadab and Abihu he, he wanted this certain fire. He made no mention of the strange fire. They went in, they used strange fire, and they were devoured before the Lord. With Cain and Abel, Cain found no respect from God in himself or in his offering. So what does it matter if we use instruments or not, if, if we don't worship God with the right heart? What does that matter? We can, we can have everything in the Bible figured out more perfectly than anyone who's ever walked the earth. But if we don't worship Him in spirit, if we don't come to Him in the right heart, what good is that done? It's not that we're so hung up on instruments. It's not that we're so hung up on communion or, or teaching. But that's a part of it. God commands our spirit and truth. He commands we sing with spirit and with understanding. They're, they're both important. We're not here trying to argue what's more important. God wants your spirit and truth. We, we must have the attitude of whatever God wants, we will do. Whatever God prescribes, we will do. And that is the way that we will worship. We must remember that. We can't worry about other people. We must worry about the way that we worship. Josh can't worry about other people, but he has to worry about the way that Josh worships. And when he comes to the worship assembly, he must remember that, that God is the only one in audience, and he's watching the way that Josh worships, and he's auditing the way that Josh sings and prays and takes communion. Don't we want to please him? With Cain and his sacrifice, God wasn't even willing to look at it. He wouldn't even consider it worship. That's, that's a scary thought to me. That God looks down at us, he's either going to consider what we're doing here today worship, or he won't even look at it. Whatever the topic is, whether it's instruments or whatever it is, we must do exactly as the scriptures have outlined. It's not a time for us to bring in our own desires. This goes throughout our normal day-to-day -day life as well. Just we're looking at it through the lens of the assembly. Uh, hopefully hopefully this, is, this will help you out in some way. Hopefully uh, we've brought up some points that maybe you hadn't thought about before, and if we have, hopefully we've reinforced some of those, some of those thoughts. It doesn't matter what we want. We want to obey God. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.